So, um, Chip Ingram, he is the author of the book, The Genius of Generosity, and the series that we're walking through by the same name. I'm using thoughts uh, from him, uh, just some uh, overall arching uh, things that he teaches in that book, and filling in then with uh, some study and my own thoughts as we walk through this whole idea for the month of January of, of what it means uh, to give uh, generously. He begins his book by telling the story of his relationship with an older man by the name of John Seville. Chip was a young pastor in his first church. Uh, it was in rural Texas. And John was a, an older gentleman who was one of the elders of the church. And for the first, <coughs> excuse me, I almost swallowed my cough drop here. <coughs> That's bad. For the first uh, couple of months, uh, their relationship wasn't anything out of the ordinary. He was just one of the elders, and Chip would come to the meetings, and so they, they didn't really know each other that well. But then one day, John uh, gave Chip a call, and he says, I want to take you to lunch. And he says, okay. And he says, well, I want you to meet me at my business in Dallas, downtown Dallas, Texas, and we're going to have lunch. And he says, okay. So he drives in, and he goes to his office, which is in this tall skyscraper building, and they're there for a second and talk a little bit. And then John says, let's go, let's go to the restaurant. And Chip's thinking, okay, we're going to go out on the street, go down to some restaurant or drive there or whatever. But instead, they go to the elevators and they go all the way to the top floor. There's a restaurant on the top of the building. And as they walk in, everybody greets John by name. And he goes and he sits down and he looks... He looks on the menu and realizes that there's some really expensive stuff on this menu. And so they begin to chit-chat a little bit, and it finally it dawns on, on uh, Chip. I think he talks to him where, that John owns the building. Not only that, he owns the restaurant. And, and so they go ahead and they have this meal, and they're talking, and now Chip's kind of really nervous because he says, man, this, this guy, he's, he's, he's wealthy. And as they concluded uh, their meal, and they had some great stuff, as they concluded the meal, uh, John says to Chip, uh, I had another reason for asking here beyond just getting to know you better. He says, I asked you here so that you might become a, a business partner of mine, uh, but not a business partner in order to make money, but a business partner in order to give money away. And Chip looked at him, and he's kind of wondering, well, what's going on? And John goes on to say, you see, I want to help poor and hurting people. You come in contact with poor and hurting people. So I want you to be my eyes and ears to discover these people and to help them. Then he took this little white box and he handed it to Chip. And Chip had him open it. Chip opens it. And inside is a checkbook. And he says, open the checkbook. And as he opens it on the first flap, it reads, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. And then he looks at the ledger, and at the top of the ledger, it says $5,000. And so John tells him, this money is for you to use as you see people in need and, and, and just go out and spend as much as you think God wants you to spend on these different things. And so he does. And, and at first, Chip's feeling kind of apprehensive. He's like, oh, man, you know, uh, this is a, a big responsibility, and I, I don't want to let John down. But... But sure enough, God brings along certain people and he writes one check and then he writes another and he's working his way through the funds and about three or four months go by and, and John calls him on the phone. He goes, let's go to lunch. So he has them back. They go up into his restaurant. They sit down, they eat the meal and then at the end, John says, so tell me, 
what happened with the pastor's discretionary fund? And so Chip begins, he smiles and begins to say, well, first there was this lady who came in and he starts telling him, and John just goes, praise the Lord. And then he tells him about something else happened, and then he goes, praise the Lord. And they go on and they talk and they celebrate all of this. And then at the end of the meal, uh, John says, I'm putting another $5,000 in. Let's do some more. And over the years then, they had this relationship that rolled on where they became these really good friends as, as John continued to give this money and as, as Chip continued to share that money generously with those he came in contact with. We're in week uh, two of this four-week series. And again, uh, as we walk through this today, we come to this idea of, of a secret uh, or a principle with secret power. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to, you know, share what that is in just a second. It won't be a secret anymore. But last week, uh, we talked about this whole idea of generosity, that it really is the best way, the smartest way, the wisest way for us to live. It's the way God wants it. It's pure genius, you know, hence the light bulbs over my head here, that God wants us to live that way. And we learned that when we are generous, it changes our lives. It connects us with other people. It helps us invest in what matters, and it frees our hearts. So this morning, we're gonna talk about this principle that has secret power, and that principle is the principle of stewardship. Didn't see that one coming, did you? The principle of stewardship. So let's, let's walk through a couple of ideas. The first is this. Pastor Ingram says that stewardship is the path, and generosity is the adventure. I thought that was a really unique way of bringing these two words together. Stewardship is the path and generosity is the adventure. What does that mean? How do the two then relate to each other as we live these out? When you hear the word generosity, what sorts of feelings come? I'm not saying what do you think about, what, what feelings come to you when you hear that word? For most of us, I mean for me, when I hear someone being generous or someone's been generous, it puts a smile on my face. You know, I, I have these feelings of, uh, of joy. I have these feelings of, oh man, this is gonna be a great story. Uh, images uh, come to my mind of extravagant giving and receiving, that sort of thing. It's a word that we hold lightly in our hands, you know, ready uh, to let go. On the other hand, when I hear the word, and maybe you're the same, and I've been this way, and I've had to kind of recalibrate a little bit, especially going through this, the word stewardship. Uh, we tend to think of obligations and limitations. It's a word that sits heavily on our shoulders and, and sometimes weighs us down. Uh, but the point is that it really shouldn't. This feeling regarding stewardship is one, I think, that has been imposed by our cultural upbringing or maybe a misreading of Scripture even. Biblical stewardship is meant to be a beautiful thing because it is a privilege that God gives us and it should bring us joy. As an example of what I'm talking about, my mind went to Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and usually when we talk about stewardship, that's the first place we go and that's where we're gonna go today in this particular passage. And I wanna make some comments as we go so I'm gonna walk down through this. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about specifically uh, when he comes again uh, the second time, 
okay? And so he marches out a couple of these different parables. And in the middle of this is this particular parable uh, that we call the parable of the talents. But it's a parable of a master who gives uh, some gold, some responsibility to his steward. So let's read this and then I'll stop us a little bit uh, along the way as we walk down through it. This is what Jesus says, starting in verse 14. Again, he says, uh, it, meaning the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now let me pause at this point uh, to acknowledge a couple of things here. Uh, who did the bags of gold belong to? The master, right? And when he gave the bags of gold to his servants, then who did they belong to? Yeah, <laughs> trick question. Exactly so. They still belong to the master. The servants then have become stewards, and a steward is someone who watches over someone else's stuff. So if you want to know the simple definition of a steward, a steward is someone who watches over and uses even uh, someone else's stuff. Second, what do you suppose was the reaction of the servants when they first received the bags of gold? I mean, if you were a servant... And your, and your master comes up and he hands you these bags of gold, would you go, oh, man, bags of gold. How could this day get any worse? Would that be your reaction? No. They're probably like, oh, you know, this is awesome. You know, he's given me this, these bags of gold and that sort of thing. And so I expect the reaction was one that was very positive, some excitement, maybe a little apprehension because they're thinking, okay, what's this going to require of me? But some determination and certainly, I think, joy. Can you imagine as the master is gone, especially these first, the first two servants, uh, as the master is gone and they see as they invest that and they see it to begin to grow, they get excited. And they're thinking, oh man, this is going to be awesome. When my master returns, I'm going to show him what I've been able to do. Okay, on the other hand, the third servant has a little different reaction. Uh, I think there was some dread in his mind in terms of waiting for the master's return. Let's read on. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. And master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He says, you know, you'd have thought five bags of gold, that's, that's some big stuff. But he says, oh, those are just little things. Wait till you see what more I'm going to do with you. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, let's pause here again. Uh, how do you think these guys felt when their master said that to them? Well done. Now, 
I think that they would have just been basking in it. Oh, man, they would definitely say, this day can't get any better. This is awesome. I'm able to share with my master, and he's happy with me, and there's greater things yet to come that he's going to give me to do and to share. You know, it's an amazing thing to work for this master, and their joy just grew even more. Let's read on. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. He gives it back. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that at least when I returned, I'd have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who had 10 bags. Forever, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So do you see the difference in this, this third servant? He was afraid. I mean, right from the beginning, he says that he was afraid. And he took the master's gold and he hid it. He did nothing with what he had been given. And he received a steep punishment. So the interesting thing about this parable is that too many of us tend to see it as a warning, uh, which it certainly is to some degree. Uh, but it is just as powerfully, or I might even add more powerfully, uh, a parable of encouragement. It is a picture of God giving resources to his people, resources of time, uh, treasure, and talent. And, and these things are things that we are to generously and joyfully uh, put to work and, and increase the wealth of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing here in this, this parable. We look at it and we only sometimes focus on that third steward, that third servant. And it's really the first two, I think, that Jesus wants us to focus on. He's saying, be like them. Be encouraged. I've given you these things. Go, use it generously. Do something with it and you'll receive my blessing. And the truth is God has given each of us time, treasure, and talent. And these things still belong to God, but he has made us his stewards to generously give these things and to put them to work uh, that they might be used to grow his kingdom. We don't know what the result will be. We just generously give. It's an adventure that we enter into with God to see how God partners with us to grow his kingdom. It's like Chip and John you know, in their story. It was John's money, and Chip was the steward. And at first, Chip was a little bit apprehensive about how it would all work out. But in the end, he was joyful, and it was a joy he shared with John as they entered into this adventure together. So a second thing, then, for us to think about is this. Stewardship has to sink in deep so it can transform you. It has to sink deep so it can transform us. The secret power of stewardship is its ability to transform us, to change not only how we think, but how we live. And it will never do that for us if it just remains an intellectual exercise. 
I mean, the truth is that, that we all uh, can say that, that we know, well, I know uh, that God owns everything, but do we really believe it? Why was Chip able to be so generous with John's money? Why do you think he was able to be so generous? What? Because it was John's money. Yeah, exactly. It didn't belong to him. You know, probably most of us would think, well, yeah, I could be generous with someone else's money if they came to me. You know, if I came to you right now and I, I gave you, you know, uh, $500, I don't have a 5000 $500, and, and said, here, just go spend this to help. You know, you, you could be really generous. You'd think, well, this is Claire's money, you know. But isn't it interesting when we say on some intellectual basis that, that everything I have, you know, my time, my treasure, my talents, all belong to God. But I'm not going to be generous with that. I'm going to hoard that. I'm going to keep that. I'm afraid to give that. And I think in that moment when we do that, when we hold it so tightly in our hands, what we're really saying is, this is mine. I love the, the, the movie, movie Finding Nemo. You know, and there's some characters in Finding Nemo that always make me laugh, and that's the gulls, the seagulls. You know, what do the seagulls, kids, what do the seagulls say? Yeah, mine, 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 mine. You know, every time you see them, mine, 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 there's going, and I think, oh my goodness, it's so funny on so many levels as I think about that and what they're like. And, and I think that's too often what we're like. You know, we look at these things that God has given us and we're constantly going around going, mine, 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 and we, we hang on to them. But God wants us to be generous. He doesn't want us to be that way. What happens when we realize and truly believe that these things aren't really mine? What will it do for us? True generosity flows then from the understanding that God owns everything. And a true steward is by nature then generous and joyful. He or she is someone who directs their resources extravagantly towards God's purposes and for his uh, people and for God to deeply enjoy with them these things that he has given. Pastor Ingram says that a good steward moves. You know, well, where do they move? As he says, they move from duty to delight. Okay? They move from rules to keep to an adventure to share. They move from obligation to generosity. And so all that we have and all that we are belongs to God, and he has temporarily entrusted it to us to oversee according to his wishes. We are the managers of God's business. And so, again, we have to ask, what does God own? Now, we can say, oh, God owns everything, you know, but let's think a little more specifically. What does God own? Well, he owns our time. You ever think about it? I don't know that I very often sit back and say, God, my time belongs to you. You know, your time, I'm just a steward of the time that I have here. We, we look at our time, you know, whether it is a time in any given day or whether it is the time in terms of the number of years. Scripture tells us to number your days. You know, do we really think about how long do I have on the planet and what am I giving myself to? How am I using it for God's kingdom rather than just my own selfish things? And, and again, 
I'll say this too in terms of story. It's not that God wants us all to become paupers and, and give everything away and so we have nothing at all or not to enjoy the things. He wants us to enjoy those things even in the midst of being generous with other people. You know, you'll notice that John, as he shared and he took Chip up, they went up, they had a great meal. I mean, one, one time you met, they had lobster, you know, and they did all these things. I mean, it wasn't that they weren't enjoying things, but they, they were on a mission for God and they understood who it belonged to and whose it was. And I think God wants us to enjoy what he gives us along with being generous in the midst of that. But he owns our time. Psalm 139, 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He owns our time. He owns our spouse. Now there's a new thought. He owns our spouse. Proverbs 19, 14, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. There you go. And I would say a prudent husband as well. We can go both directions. Does that mean that if your wife's not prudent, that's not from the Lord? No, we won't stretch it any further than that. But your spouse is a gift from God. Our children, he owns them. And don't think in your minds, well, yeah, could I give them back? No, that's not the, no. We love our kids most of the time. We love them always. Sometimes it's tough to like them, but we love them always, and we want to make them into people that everyone likes, including us, all right? But he owns our kids. Psalm 127.3, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. He owns our property, Deuteronomy 10.14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Whatever you think is yours, whether you have the deed or not, belongs to him. He owns our gifts. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Whatever talents, giftedness, spiritual gifts, whatever labels we want to put on that, they're from God. He gives them to us. He owns our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Are you getting the picture here? Because we could keep going and going and going. So when we say he owns everything, we need to think about what that truly means. And it needs to sink in deep uh, to, our, to our hearts till it becomes a way of life, till we look at everything we have as being just something. I heard an example uh, this last week that we're to be pipes, not buckets. Okay, what's the difference between a, a pipe and a bucket? Well, if you're talking water, okay, what does a bucket do? Holds water. What does a pipe do? Yeah, let, carries it or lets water flow through. So, when we talk about this stewardship and the gifts that God has given us, we're to be pipes. We're not just to hold it and say, mine, 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 <laughs> okay? But we're to be a pipe and let it flow through, that it can bless those who are further down the line. That's what God wants for us. And only when we, we understand this idea of stewardship in that way can we be truly generous then. Okay, third thing. Stewardship is more than a recognition of ownership. It's relational. It's relational. There is a trust that is built when we live as good stewards. God has given us time, 
treasure, talents, and he trusts us then to use them wisely. John, as he gave to Chip, he trusted Chip to use it wisely. You know, the master trusted his servants to use what he'd given them wisely. And so there's this relationship that is built. In return, then we can trust God to lead us and to guide us and to supply what we need. And again, when I talk about leading and guiding, where's, where's the main place we go for that leading and guiding? One of the top three answers to you know, biblical questions in a sermon is Jesus, God, the Bible. Yeah, there we go, that's the top three. The Bible, yes. We go to the Bible, we go to scripture. Okay, now we can go other places, you know, uh, wise uh, uh, spiritual mentors and people that can speak into our lives, you know, sermons and other things like that. But, but in the end, the bedrock of that is God's word. And so if we want to be a good steward, you know, if we want to, to do what's right, let, let's say, well, if we want to do that, we need to go to the place that has, tells us how to live that way, how to be a good steward, how God wants us to use our time, how he wants us to use our treasure, how he wants us to use our talent. And he's given us this beautiful book we call the Bible in which we can find the answers to all of these sorts of things. So we trust in God. Remember the arrangement again between Chip and John. They, they would meet every few months and celebrate how God used what John had given and how Chip had generously dispersed it. And in the midst of that generous adventure, they became very close friends. And by example then, as we look at that, we ask the question, what about our relationship with God? God calls us into partnership with him and he is not some distant, silent partner but rather he is a partner who wants to meet with us, wants to direct us, wants to celebrate with us as his stewards. And the more generous we are on God's behalf, the result should be a closer relationship with him, a relationship that is joyful, a relationship that is growing. If we are generous stewards serving him, we should be seeing God working all over the place, right? I can tell you that, that you know, this thing with John and, and Chip really was a thing with John and Chip and God. And, and, and even if you take John out of the equation, Chip is growing in his relationship with God as he prays over this money and gives, and, and, you know, and, and maybe, hopefully, he went even beyond that to see that there are other things that he wants me to give, and it's not just about money. You know, money is a part, and that's huge, and Jesus talks about it a lot because it, it tends to be a barometer of our soul. How we use our money tends to be, you know, that, that telltale point, but it extends so much uh, farther than that. And so God calls us into partnership uh, that we might celebrate with him, and the more generous we are on his behalf, the more we grow in him. Jesus tells another parable uh, about a steward in Luke 16, 1 through 19. And in that parable, the steward's a crook, okay? Uh, he misuses his master's possessions. In fact, most people read that parable and they think, that's a weird parable. Why did Jesus tell this parable? Because in the parable, the master um, 
uh, has this steward watching over stuff, and the steward misuses it, and the master hears about it. He says, I'm coming back, and I'm going to fire that steward. He's gone. Well, before the master arrives, word gets to the steward that this is going to happen, and we read what happens next in verses 3 through 19 of Luke 16. Let me read that for you. The manager said to himself, the steward, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do when I lose my job here so that people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master then, when he returned, commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world, now this is Jesus talking, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is God, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Clear as day, right, what he's talking about here in this. It's a hard parable for us to understand. What was Jesus talking about here? Is he saying that we should all be cheats and crooks like the steward? Or that that's okay? No. Like the master, Jesus is acknowledging the shrewdness of the steward. The steward was a bad guy, and he still got fired. Jesus isn't saying that's the way we should be, but he says, look at the way he made friends who he could turn to when he was out of a job. And so Jesus says that we should use worldly wealth to make friends with someone who can welcome us into eternity. Who might that someone be? This is the second, you know, most given answer in sermons. Who might it be? Who should we make friends with? Who should be our top priority to make friends with? Jesus. There you go. You can said God. Jesus, God, I'll take both those answers. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, so he's saying, look at this crooked, he's even crooked and yet he has enough sense to know to go out and make friends with somebody when he's in his time of need. Well, folks, this temporary world's gonna come to an end. What friendships are really gonna make a difference then? I mean, you can be friends with a lot of people because you have money or you have talent or you have whatever. You look at all these, these movie stars or actors or um, um, uh, sports figures or all these people and they have their little entourage that's with them and we sometimes wonder, okay, if the money was gone, where would they be? Where would those people be? Where would they turn? You know, they may be thinking in their mind, well, yeah, but I gave all these people stuff. So somebody might take me in just like the crooked servant here. But the, but the point is, all this stuff is gonna be gone one day. And when it is, who's gonna be important in terms of the most important relationship you have in your life? And that's Jesus, or that's God one and the same, basically. But having that relationship with God through Jesus is the most important thing. And so even now, God puts this, or Jesus puts this in the context of saying, understand that we just walked this world for a short time, and God has given you, he's made you manager of your time, treasure, and talent. 
So who are you trying to impress with that stuff? Where are you trying to make friends with that stuff? Shouldn't the most important relationship in this be with the one who owns that stuff so that when he comes back, we can rejoice with him rather being fearful or sad as in the the previous parable. We need to use our resources in the here and now on God's behalf so that we can build a relationship with him that will bring a future reward in eternity. And it's interesting, following this parable, Jesus adds this comment, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Doesn't that sound like the previous parable we talked about? And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, how will you trust, who will trust you with true riches? Who will trust you with true riches? Again, referring to God in this point. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, God's property, who will give you property of your own? Why would you expect a reward from him? We need to connect the dots here between our use of God's resources and and the activities and things that he wants us to be doing and bless us in the midst of, and this whole idea of stewardship. That the more we give to God, the more we are generous with others on his behalf, the closer we will walk with him and the more impact we have on eternity and the more he gives us in the midst of that and we draw together and rejoice with our Father. I heard people, have heard people say before that they just never really see God working. You know, I hear people talking about God working here. I never see that. I, I don't really see God working in my life. And, and I would ask the question, then how close are you walking with him? If you don't see him working, how close are you walking with him? I mean, I'm with Twyla more than anybody else on the planet. And, and, and if I said, well, I never see Twyla doing anything, that'd be a lie. Every day I see her doing stuff, you know? And and so if we're walking closely with God, how can we ever say, I just don't see God working? And maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions. Am I giving God my first and my best rather than just giving him my leftovers? Am I giving regularly and systematically rather than just every once in a while when I feel like it? Because you know what, folks? If we wait till we feel like it, not a much is gonna happen. Am I giving freely and joyfully out of love for my heavenly father rather than grudgingly out of obligation to a stern and distant God? Maybe I need to change my attitude and my understanding of who he is. Remember that God doesn't need our money or our stuff. He doesn't need our time, treasure, and talent. The psalmist Asaph captures this in Psalm 50, nine through 12, where he says this. This is quoting God. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. In other words, I don't need to ask you for food. I already own everything. So we need to understand that. We, we give because we love God and are joyful regarding our time, 
treasure and talent that he has given to us. And, and by the way, God has given all of us time, treasure, and talent. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Remember our first parable. To the first, it says he gave to each of his servants according to their ability. To the first one, he gave five bags of gold. To the second, he gave two. To the last one, he gave one. That's not a comment on, oh, this one's better than that one or whatever. It's how God had made them and gifted them in the first place. And so when we look at, at ourselves, we shouldn't say, oh, well, I'm not like you know, this person or that person over there. I have no talent. I have no ability. I'm not wealthy. I'm not this. We start going through all the things that we think we're not. And we insult God when we do that. Because he's gifted every last one of us. It's not a matter of how much. It's just a matter of what it is he's given us. Of what gifts, small or little, he's given to us. And he says, use what I've given you. And there's that little promise in the back of that. And when you do, and as we work at this together, and you're faithful in the little, I'm gonna put you in charge of even greater things. So let's stop looking at our lack and start looking at and asking the question, God, this is what you've given me. Show me. How can I be generous? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? And in the midst of that, we'll discover that we are becoming best friends with the owner of this stuff and managing it for him. So God has blessed us to be a blessing. He's given us time, treasure, and talent that we might be his stewards, generously sharing what he has given to us with other people. And it's a great adventure in which we walk hand in hand with God. Do we think of it that way? We walk hand in hand with God and we celebrate with him as he accomplishes these things through our generosity. We need to understand that. This principle of stewardship should have power in our lives and it shouldn't be a secret to us at all, or at least not any longer. It is a joyful path we walk with God and as we generously give, he gives us more to give. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you once again for how you've gifted every one of us, first and foremost for that supreme gift of your son Jesus that we might have life and life abundant and eternal. But beyond that, Father, that you've gifted us in so many different ways to be able to be generous and share. We are your stewards, Father, joyful stewards, ready to go on this adventure with you. And I praise you, Father, for those who are already walking that path of generosity as your stewards. Father, give us even more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.